Let's open our Bibles to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll read the whole of this passage of God's Word. First Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit Dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. The body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. If they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, 
all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Read the word of God thus far. May God bless to us the reading of his holy word. The text that we direct our attention to is verses 12 and 13. Really, we're going to be looking at all of the verses from 12 through 27. Rather lengthy passage, but focus our attention on the first two verses of that section of 12 through 27. And let's read that again, verses 12 and 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. It's obvious, beloved, that our text is referring to and describing for us the church. And very emphatically describing the church as a body, comparing it to the human body, and speaking of the church as the body of Jesus Christ. And that description of the church is a very familiar and common description in Scripture concerning the church as the universal body of Christ. The church of all of the elect of God is the body of Christ church that is made up of the people of God from every age in history and from every nation under heaven. That is, the church of the elect is the body of Christ. But this description of the church as a body also applies to a local church, a congregation of the people of God who are gathered in the name of Christ. And that's because a local congregation that is, by the grace of God, a faithful manifestation of the church, manifesting the three marks of a true church, faithful preaching of the word and faithful carrying out of the work of discipline, as well as the faithful administration of the sacraments, such a church is an earthly manifestation of the body of Jesus Christ. 
us to be in this church, which we believe by God's grace is a true church of Christ, to be in this church is to be part of a body. To be in this congregation of the people of God is to be part of the body of Christ that gathers here in this place. That the text refers to the earthly manifestation of the church as the body of Christ, that is, that our text refers to a local congregation of the people of God is clear from the fact that the Apostle Paul was writing to such a church, namely the church that had been established in Corinth. He wrote that church, among other things, to address a number of problems and a number of weaknesses that were evident in that congregation and of which he had become aware. And one of those weaknesses and one of those faults is alluded to by the apostle in this chapter, namely that there were many different gifts that were present in that church, but those gifts were not being used by the members for the benefit of the body. And that resulted, it had resulted in the church in Corinth in schism and division in the congregation. Factions existed in the church. That's why the apostle says in this chapter, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body. But there was in Corinth. And the underlying admonition that the apostle gave to them through the word that he was inspired to write in this chapter, the underlying and the implied admonition that was given to the church in Corinth was, any gift that the Spirit of Christ gives to you as a member of the body of Christ must be used for the benefit of the body. Not selfishly, but for the good of the other members of the church. And that certainly is a point of application for us. We are encouraged here by this word of God to use our gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ to which we belong. But at the same time, beloved, we consider this passage especially so that this may be a word of God that helps us to appreciate the body of Christ to which we belong, as that comes to manifestation locally in this congregation, not taking the church for granted but being thankful for the body of Christ here in Dune Protestant Reformed Church. Consider then with me the church, the one body of Christ.
Christ. And notice three things concerning that, the reality of that. Secondly, our need of the body. And finally, manifesting our oneness. That the church, a local congregation included, is designated, is called, is named in Scripture the body of Christ, means that the church is made up of many different members, many different parts, but they all function together harmoniously. They are united. They are one because they are one body. And what is significant in our text, as well as in the rest of Scripture, whenever, whenever it speaks of the church as such, is that the text presents this, the fact that the church is a body, the fact that the church is one united body, presents that as a reality concerning the church. A fact concerning the church. It is not presented, church unity and oneness in the church and the church being a body is not presented as something that we simply hope for. We hope for it to be true one day. We hope for it to be true perhaps never in this life, but when we get to heaven, that's not how the scripture presents it. It's not something that is presented as that which we don't have yet, but we will get one day. Nor is it presented as something that we must somehow attain, we must somehow establish this oneness, this unity of the body of Christ. So we are commanded to establish it, to create it, to make it, not that either but it is stated as a fact. Verse 12, For as the body is one, that is, as the human body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He is that. We are that as the body of Christ. And then verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. The local congregation of the people of God, that is, by the grace of God, faithful, manifesting the three marks of a true church, the text says, is the body of Christ. She is that. Believers within one congregation of the people of God confessing the name of Christ together, are one body. Not two or three bodies, not two or three different groups within one church, not two or three different factions within one congregation, but one body. The oneness, the unity of the body of Christ is 
a reality. How are we able so boldly to say that? Why is that true? Well, it's not true because of us. But it is true, as our text says in verse 13, because of the Spirit. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. We are baptized by the Spirit into one body. And the baptism referred to there is not the sacrament of baptism itself. The sacrament itself cannot unite us, but it points to what the sacrament signifies, what the sacrament directs our minds to spiritually. And what is that? That is this, that the reality, the spiritual reality to which the sacrament of baptism points us is that we are regenerated by the Spirit, that we are given a new life by the Spirit. The life of Christ is given to every believer. And we have, therefore, the same spiritual life in each of us. And that's what makes us one body. The Spirit of Christ lives in each member of the church. The Spirit of Christ makes us one. The Spirit of Christ makes us the same as each other. The same. And that's because we have Christ in us. We have in common the life of Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit, we then also have many other things in common, too, within a congregation. The text says, verse 13, the end of that verse, we have been all made to drink into one Spirit. We have in common that we eat and drink the same spiritual food, the food of the Word of God, especially as that food comes to us through the preaching of the gospel. We receive by the Spirit the same spiritual blessings, the gift of faith, hope in our hearts of life eternal, the love of God, the pardon of our sins, and so on. By the Spirit, we confess the same truth, the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God, the truth of man's total depravity, the truth of the almighty sovereign grace of God alone that has saved us, the truth that directs all our focus and all our attention to God himself and not to man. The truth that glorifies God. And we have the same comfort and the same hope 
as each other in the midst of life's many sorrows and trials and struggles. And we look to and believe in and stand on the same rock, the rock of our salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit, we are made one. Through the Spirit, we have all this and many more things in common so that as a body of believers, we are attracted to each other and we desire to be together as a body. And we are thankful for the other members of the body of Christ. The text adds to that by pointing out that this oneness, this unity of the church that characterizes the church as one body is true of her regardless of earthly differences. That's mentioned in verse 13 as well. By one spirit we're all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. The text mentions there's some earthly differences that can exist between us in the body of Christ, in a church. Jews and Gentiles were very different from each other. And in the early New Testament church, and really throughout the whole Old Testament as well, the Jews looked down their noses at the Gentiles. Bond and free are very different from each other. Master and slave, master and servant. The masters ruled their slaves. The slave was simply a piece of property to the master. Very different. And that reference there in verse 13 implies other differences as well between them, differences in wealth and differences in social status in life. And we cannot deny that those differences and those kinds of differences exist also among us. Differences in age. We have young and old, adults and children in the body of Christ. Differences in wealth, differences in our backgrounds, differences in our upbringings as individuals, differences in nationality too. Also differences in levels of education that are, are attained by different members of the church. And differences in abilities, too, including the fact that in the body of Christ, there are some members who are special and who have special needs when it comes to ability. Differences. Even differences of personality and differences of character. 
Sad to say, sometimes we let those differences get in the way of our fellowship with each other in the body of Christ. We say, I'll fellowship with people who are like me. I'll fellowship with people who are, in my judgment, more likable to me. And we ignore those whom we consider to be too different from us. Pretend they don't exist. We don't really have much time for them. But this passage points out, beloved, that these differences exist, and these differences will always exist. And not only that, but these differences are necessary. Unity is impossible in the body of Christ without diversity. Look at verses 17 and following. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? You can't have a body that's made up of all kinds of members that are exactly the same as each other. Then you don't have a body. You don't have a body that can function. Unity is possible in the body of Christ because of diversity in the body of Christ. And oneness exists in spite, not only, but oneness is a reality because of those differences. And it is the Spirit who makes it again a reality. The Spirit is the one who works in the body of Christ to overcome those spiritual, sorry, to overcome those earthly differences as regards their having an effect and an influence upon the body of Christ. Those differences still exist, but the Spirit causes us by His grace to put those differences aside so that they don't make a difference in the body of Christ. The earthly differences should not matter in Christ's body. We should let them fade into the background. We should let the annoying habits of a certain member fade into the background. We should let the different nationality of another member fade into the background. We should let the level of education that someone else attains in comparison to ourself fade into the background. We should let abilities fade into the background. All of those earthly things being superseded by the fact that we are and we have in common Christ and his spirit, and we are new creatures in him, and we have the life of Christ in every one of us, because of which we are the body of Christ. That's what the church is, by the power of the grace of God in us. Then we ought to note, beloved, 
how great a blessing it is to be part of such a congregation. A blessing to have a church family. A blessing to have a church home. A blessing to be in a body of like-minded believers. Try to imagine living your Christian life without that. It would be impossible. Our text goes on to point out, beloved, along with the context that each of us needs the other members of the body. That's part of the comparison that is made here of the church to a human body. In verse 12, whereas the human body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The human body is made up, as we know, of many different parts, many different members. Verse 14 speaks of that, for the body is not one member, but many. And then again in verses 22 and 23, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. The point being that there are many different kinds of members in the human body. All the parts of the human body are not equal. They are not equally beautiful. They are not equally honorable. They are also different as regards their function in the body. But they all belong together. They are all united as one body, and every part, even the parts that seem to be less useful, more feeble, more uncomely, are needed in the body just as much as the others. And that's exactly how it is in the church, too. The church as the one body of Christ. It's in that connection that this passage, not only our text itself, verses 12 and 13, but the context that follows from it, points out two important things concerning our need of each other in the body. First of all, verses 15 through 17, notice these verses. If the foot shall say... Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And those verses are addressing the fact that 
each member of the body is needed by the rest of the body. That's true in the human body. No part of our human bodies can say to the rest of the body, well, I'm not very important, I'm not needed, just cut me off and get rid of me. If there is a member of the human body that is missing, then the human body is incomplete. If you lose a limb, lose an organ, lose an eye, the body is incomplete. And so likewise in the church, members may not exclude themselves. That's the point here. The foot cannot say, the body doesn't need me. The eye cannot say, the body doesn't need me. No member may exclude himself from the other members of the body by saying, I'm unnecessary in the body. I'm unnecessary because I have nothing to contribute to the body. No one needs me. If I'm not there, no one misses me. I'll just stay away. I'll just stay disconnected from my fellow believers. I'll just stay uninvolved in the church. It is true. Sometimes you may feel, you may have a sense that you are an unnecessary member. But what does the scripture say about that? Verse 22 here. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Every member is needed. And because every member is needed by the body, those other members of the body may not exclude certain members either. It's true, the thrust is here on the fact that a member may not exclude himself. But the body may not exclude a member either. Except, of course, when on account of all of the necessary steps of church discipline taking place, a member must be excommunicated. That's the one exception. But otherwise, we must never say concerning any member in the body, he or she isn't really needed here. The church would be better off without that person as a member. You may not say that about someone whom God has placed with us in this body. Every member is needed. Even the members that seem to us to be less necessary. That's one of the things that is addressed here. But then notice in the second place what is addressed in verses 21 through 23. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. And there the context is addressing this, that each member of the body must understand that not only in the first place, as we already considered, that he is needed by the body, but now, secondly, this. He needs the other members of the body for himself. Concerning the human body, the text in the passage points out one member, one part of the human body cannot exist if it is separated from the rest of the body. If a part of the human body is separated from the human body, if a part is taken away, if a part is amputated, then it has no more life and no more use to the body. So that no, no part of the human body can say, cut me off from the body and I will survive on my own, separate from the body. He won't, cannot. And so likewise in the church. The church and the body of Christ cannot function properly if members are independent. It's wrong for a member to think, I don't need the church. I can be self-sufficient as a Christian. I can survive on my own without the other members of the body of Christ, without being a member of the church, without having fellowship with fellow saints without attending church. That you recognize is the language of independentism, cutting oneself off from the body to which one belongs. And what is it that happens to a part of the human body that is cut off? It dies. What happens then to the members of the church who are independent from the body to which they belong, who isolate themselves? They become spiritually weak. No one can be spiritually strong and survive spiritually if he separates, if she separates herself from the body of Christ to which he or she belongs. Jesus Christ puts us in the body because the body needs us and we need the body. And again, we give him thanks 
that he has done that. He knows what we need. And he provides the body of Christ and makes us part of it so that that is an aid, a help, a great encouragement to us in our earthly pilgrimage. And then, thirdly, we note this, that the Spirit's work does not stop with making unity and oneness in the body of Christ a reality, but his work continues in the church. His work continues in the members of the body of Christ. And this is how that work continues. He causes the oneness of the body to become evident. So that if you look at a congregation of the people of God, you see it functioning like a body, by the Spirit at work in it. In that connection, we admit it isn't always that way. It's not always as it should be. Whenever that's so, something is wrong in how we live and function as a body of believers. We are failing to be what the Spirit has made us to be. We are called to repent, and we are called to strive anew to make it evident and obvious and to manifest the fact that we are a body of Christ. The chapter points out, the passage points out, that there are a number of main evidences of the oneness and the unity of the body of Christ, ways in which it comes to manifestation, ways in which it can be seen. First of all this, the members of the body not being independent, isolated, but striving to be part of the body. And that implies, first of all, the obligation to join the church, a body of believers, to join the church if one does not have membership in her, or as young people, to join the church by public confession of your faith. We are bound to join. Bound to join the church, that is, by the grace of God, a manifestation of the true church of Christ. But then as members, for all of us, we are bound to be involved in the, in the church, in the body involved by participating in the worship services of the church, involved by participating in the life of the church, involved by participating in the fellowship that we have opportunity to have with each other in the body of Christ, involved by participating in the Bible studies that are held, involved by participating 
in other church activities, where there is that opportunity again to fellowship with our fellow members in the body of Christ. And involved also in this way, as the passage implies, by using our gifts and talents to contribute to the welfare of the body. The hand in the body helping the feet. The eyes in the body helping the hands. The lungs in the body helping the brain. The kidney in the body helping the heart. Using the God-given gifts that we have to help the body as a whole, having a willingness as the Lord gives us opportunity to serve the body. And using our gifts, especially to help the members of the body that are struggling, the members of the body who are elderly, the members of the body who are perhaps handicapped, the members of the body who are lonely, caring for each other, as verses 25 and 26 point out, that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. That kind of concern for and care for each other in the body of Christ. And secondly, a manifestation of the oneness of the body of Christ that is established by the Spirit is pointed out in verse 25 that there should be no schism in the body. The members, by the grace of God, living at peace among themselves. Being united as a body. Not working against each other. and Not working against the body that is the church as a whole, not working against by our pride, not working against by our looking for faults and our readiness to criticize, not working against by pushing our personal preferences and our personal wishes at the expense of the unity of the body. United in love for the truth and united in seeking the church's good and united in love for each other as fellow believers who have been redeemed by Christ so that we confess, I love Thy saints, the saints of God. 
praying for and seeking the peace of Jerusalem, the body of Jesus Christ. So may we be thankful, beloved, for the church and for the work of the Spirit in it that unites us as a body of believers. What a blessing it is to have a church home, a church family. And what gratitude we give to God that he has chosen us to be the church of Christ and has put us together for his glory and praise, not only, but for our good. And has done that not only for you personally, but has done that for your fellow members in the body of Christ. Joined us to each other so that we may be an encouragement and a help to each other in this life. Loving one another. Loving your fellow believers. Loving your fellow pilgrims and living together in the joyful and blessed life of the fellowship that we have in the body of Jesus Christ. Glad to be part of the body that is this congregation of the people of God, and encouraged to stand together and to encourage each other on our pilgrim's journey to glory, where we will be together in perfection forever and forever. May God give us the grace thus to dwell together in unity and harmony and love and peace. Amen. God and Father in heaven, we are thankful for the work of Christ that unites us to him and thus to each other. Bless and preserve us as thy church. May we love her well as thou dost love her well. And in our love may we seek her good even as sometimes in seeking her good we must address the sins and weaknesses that are present. But in love for her, wilt thou give us the joy of church membership and the joy and gladness of being members together in this body of believers in which thou hast given each of us a name and a place. In Jesus' name, amen.